Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the show, we welcome Swiss-based founder and rider P.S. Cobbler to the show to talk about his company, Milkit, and the system they've developed around tubeless tires and a brand new product that they've created to support that system in the form of a multi-tool. I happened to meet P.S. on the trail on a group ride I went on last week as he was in town for Sea Otter Classic, and we got to chatting about his entrepreneurial journey and his writer first perspective of design. And I thought it'd be great to have him on the show. And I was fortunate to grab him on a Friday night over in Switzerland to talk more about the company and the company's journey and some of the products I know you'll get value out of being aware of. I encourage you to check out some of the links on the show notes as some of the nuances of the product design may be best seen in a video. If you're watching the video of the podcast, you'll see P.S. reference and hold some of his products in his hands as part of the conversation. But detailed videos are available on the website, which is over at milkit.bike. Before we jump in, I do need to thank this week's sponsor, Hammerhead. Hammerhead and the Karoo 2 computer have been longtime sponsors of the show. As you know, the Karoo 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today with industry-leading mapping, navigation, routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options out on the market. Over the course of my conversation with PS, we talk a lot about rider-oriented design. Hammerhead and the team over at Karutu definitely take that perspective, and they're constantly updating their products with bi-weekly software updates. There's nothing cooler to me on the Hammerhead Karutu than getting that notification that a software update's available because I know they're adding things that are going to be of interest to me, whether it's today or down the line. One of the biggest updates I received that I love is the climber feature, which has predictive path technology, which basically shows you what's ahead of you on a climb. While that may not necessarily be important on your daily routes, for me, when I'm doing an event or I've borrowed a route from someone that I've never done before, I'd love knowing, is this a short, punchy climb ahead of me, or do I really need to settle in for a longer climb? For a limited time offer, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Crew 2. Simply visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive limited time offer, so don't forget to use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE. Simply add that heart rate monitor strap to your purchase cart when you're checking out on the e-commerce system at hammerhead.io. Use the promo code THEGRAVELRIDE, and that heart rate monitor will be yours for free. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation with P.S. Cobbler. P.S., welcome to the show. Thank you. You have the honor of being our first Swiss guest. Oh, I'm very honored, yeah. And how cool was it that we got to ride together? Last How cool is it that we recording. see each other like three days later across an ocean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. You know, I, I, as I mentioned to you on that ride, I'd been familiar with the, 
the Milkit brand and some of the products specific to the the tire sealant solution um, for a number of years. But I'm curious to kind of just step back and learn a little bit about more about you and then the formation of the company. Because as the listener of this podcast knows, like I'm super keen on the entrepreneurial ideas and and journey as an entrepreneur myself. So let's start off by kind of where you grew up and how you discovered the bike, and then we'll get into how you decided to form this company. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Switzerland and I was always a cyclist. Like I cycled to school. What's that? Um, 12 miles every day, two ways. So, so when I was 14 or so, so yeah. And then with my family, we always went on bike trips in holidays. I, I literally grew up on bikes more or less, but then Mountain biking came quite late. I, I started mechan- mechanical engineering at um, ETH Zurich here. And after studying, I um, took my recumbent and rode it from Alaska to Tierra del Fuego for one and a half years. So I've been cycling a bit. You spent some time <laughs> on a bike, I see. Yeah, I was I was in, in the Bay Area earlier already, passing through. <laughs> Yeah. And that's and, interesting. But, you know, it's funny when you even mention the word recumbent as a style of bicycle. That's in my mind, that's such an engineering type vehicle. Why did you choose perfect, to tour on that? It's the perfect nerd impersonification uh, that you can have. Sometimes as in the US, it was most fun. We were getting off the recumbent and people go, oh, but you're not handicapped. Why would you? Why are you riding one of these? Yeah. <laughs> It's, and, it's, and, not, uh, <laughs> and not to derail the conversation too much, but it is from an engineering perspective, is riding a recumbent sort of mechanically or aer- aerodynamically better for long distances than other style bikes? There is no no doubt. No, there really? Is so much for long distances, there is no discussion actually. But nobody knows, and and everybody thinks that they can't be good because then more people will be doing it. You you don't have any pain in your wrists, neck, uh, butt, wherever you, you have a relaxed sitting position, you have a third less wind drag, you have uh, several of these advantages, you have a lower um, center of gravity, you have a much better curve stability, you have a longer wheelbase, more stability. But then the main the main factor for me is you're you have a completely different way of sitting on the bike it's not you're not sitting like this and staring on the road in front of you you're sitting like this open you like like on a couch riding through the countryside you know it's for traveling by far the best but i would never use it in a city or so like daily life i don't have one you know i, I yeah. sold it after i traveled that's so interesting, yet so off topic for this podcast. Yeah, this was the perfectly <laughs> wrong start for this for this episode. <laughs> right. And then, you know, I feel like now there's this uh, potential that a listener is imagining you being some nerdy bike nerd on a recumbent, yet my interaction with you was on a mountain bike where you tackled every complicated shoot that we came in front of on Mount Ridge in Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. So we, we've, we've established engineering degree. We've established you spent a lot of time on a bike. There's a big leap, leap before, you know, between getting an engineering degree and obviously looking at bicycles from a mechanical engineering perspective and then starting a company. What was the journey like to that point? Yeah, basically... 
when I came back, I haven't I haven't done kind of performance cycling. It was always holiday or, or work or whatever, traveling. But when I came back, I was in, in okay shape, let's say. And a buddy of mine was in mountain biking, so I joined him for some longer rides. And that's how I got into mountain biking, only after I did that trip. And um, basically, I, I started working. That's the coincidence that led to things. I started working in a, in a company that it's a design bureau you could say it's a they they do product development and design as a service for large companies you could say we were professional inventors uh, and we were we were developing products for many companies in the bike industry as well like we were working for scott for bmc for for these brands here in switzerland among others and we were um, a group of bikers in that company so uh, one thing led to another and and what made the 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 deciding point for for to go into tubeless was basically i a bit later uh, after that long trip i i had the chance to take an unpaid leave for 8 weeks and go to the us buy a van and drive it from one IMBA epic ride to the other for eight weeks, which was amazing. I might have yeah. ridden more trails in the US than most Americans, you could say. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that was re really good. But the not so smart part about it is what we were going to Colorado and Utah in July, <laughs> which is not the right moment. It's like 120 degrees or so over there. So it was a bit warmer than we were used to. And we ended up with a flat because our tubeless tires were completely dried out because it was so warm. And yeah. so I, I'm in the middle of nowhere, somewhere on the continental divide in Colorado uh, with that dried out tire, putting a tube in, uh, what everybody hates when you ride tubeless, you know, to take the whole thing apart and put a tube in. And that's when I when I when I started thinking. You know, I had a few weeks more to go, and which means a lot of time to think. And and I said, wait, if I'm me as a bike freak and 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 tech developer, like if I have this problem of, of not being able to maintain my students, how should other people do it? You know. And, and that's, when you that's... thought about that problem, because was it? It was. If I'm articulating this correctly, the problem was you just weren't aware of the level of sealant that was remaining in the tire you had, I had gone no to this idea hotter... i had yeah. no idea that it was just drying up faster because it was a bit warmer you know yeah i and i and i encourage like everyone listening right now think about your bike think about the sealant and think if you have any idea whether there's enough sealant in there or not i can guarantee looking around my garage right now i would say 80% of the bikes I have, they have to be bone dry. It's like without a question, but I don't know. And I'm a bit lazy to find out, right? Like it's like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But to your point, you get out there and you have the situation where sealant is a godsend, right? It seals that hole and it's not there. That's, that, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's basically we say if you split up bikers into people that ride tubeless and don't, then the ones who ride tubeless, you can basically split them up into the ones who know that you have to maintain it and the ones who don't know and find it out a bit later. And then the ones who know how to maintain they have to maintain it. 
um, a good part of those things, yeah, I'm always feeling a bit sealed in, and it's fine. But the not not so big part know that they should look at what in, what's inside, like they should check the old sealant or get it out before they push in the new one. So you have a really good working sealant in there. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. So you, you sort of recognize, challenge. you recognize this problem, which when you articulate it is pretty obvious, I think to us all, right. We, no one wants to look inside their tires. What's the solution? How do you go about solving that problem? Yeah, that that was uh, as as often in product development, it, it was a step by step process where where first we had the idea we need to drill a second hole into the rim to somehow look in there and then refill through the valve and then eventually we know we are not going to have a second hole. We have to make it through the hole that's already there. So eventually we were going through the valve, but then we still had a. Because the, the first thing you think about is a dipstick, you know, you need to, to go in and check the sealant and then you fill. Yeah. And then by coincidence, like by using it, by having prototypes, you realized, wait, and, and maybe at this point I should explain the, the whole valve. Basically what we do is we have a normal tubeless valve uh, that you install into the rim like any tubeless valve, but at the, at the bottom, the at the bottom of the rubber foot the the, the rubber is closed and it's yeah. slit into into rubber flaps so when you unscrew the valve core the the air stays in the tire because these rubber flaps at the bottom are closed and now we yeah. have a, we have a syringe kind of a syringe and needle with a, with a flexible extension and then the sealant regulator that you connect together and let's take this... a pause for one second, P.S., and just so the listener understands. So if you can imagine that your normal valve core for tubeless, you've got a, a, a section that is inside the rim and obviously the section you see outside the rim and what you've described and shown to people who are on the video, you've got sort of on that inside piece, a rubber gasket that its natural state is to be closed. So if you're not pushing air or something else through it, nothing's coming back through it no air is coming back through it etc like and then the, the yeah. ketchup bottles you know you have to catch up bottles that have these these flaps on the top that's like that's yep. the function more or less we have i love it yeah. i love it taking taking a a commonplace design concept and putting it in something technical on the bike exactly so then you exactly. just you just had picked up this syringe and you know some people are used to using just sort of their bottle of sealant and pouring it directly into the tire. Some years ago, I started adopting the syringe for more precise measurement and the ability to insert through the valve core. It's possible in a standard valve core to do that, but it's kind of difficult in, in a number of ways, which I think you'll get into in describing the value of having that seal on the inside of the valve and how that interacts with the sort of plunger, if you will. I don't know if that's going to be the right term that's attached yeah. to the syringe. Yeah. Like the wording is we, we the, the part inside the, the, inside the tire, inside the rim, we call it the rubber foot. And then you have the, the, the aluminum part uh, that you screw onto the rim. That's the valve stem. And then you have the valve core that goes into the valve stem and we remove the valve core and the air is still, the, 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 the tire remains pressurized because the rubber flaps are closed. And now the trick is that with this needle here that we have connected to the syringe, you can push through the rubber flaps 
into the tire with the air pressure still being in the tire. That's the, the core of our technology. Because now you, you with the needle, you go to the bottom of the tire. The sealant has accumulated at the bottom of the tire. And, and now basically all you have to do is you open the sealant regulator and the, the, the air pressure in the tire is pushing the sealant into your syringe. You don't even have to suck it out. It's, it's pushing out, it's, it's automatically flowing into your syringe. Yeah, and that was a point you had made to me on the trail the other day, which was the aha moment for me. Because when you first described the mechanism, I was like, oh, that's great. You know, you you push the syringe kind of legs into that the bottom of your tire and you can touch the sealant. But that nuance there that since you've left the air in the tire, you have air pressure, which you can then draw out the, the sealant into the tube with the air pressure pushing it effectively into yeah. the syringe. And you can see the exact measurement of what remains in the tire at that point. And the main reason back in the days when we invented this, the main reason why it was important to, to, to have the pressure remain in the tire is when you released the air from the, t uh, from the tire back then, the tire would fall back into your rim, you know, and then you would have trouble inflating it again. Nowadays, this is becoming better because you have these rims where the, t the tire stays outside when you deflate it. But it's still a cool feature to not breaking the bead, to not um, losing any sealant, not having some some sealant getting out on, on the side. And, and it's just literally more fun doing a tubeless maintenance. If you go in, it comes out automatically and you just push it back. So once you've extracted that sealant you see how much was left so you might realize oh that wasn't that wasn't much left and this this looks bad i'm gonna i'm gonna throw this off so you disconnect the syringe you throw it out or you just top it up with new one and then what you do is you push against the tire pressure you push the sealant back into the tire with, with your syringe and yeah. that was the original idea to to be able to measure and refill the sealant in a minute or two without without a drop spilled you know yeah. and that's that's yeah. literally our claim you can install a tubeless tire and maintain it without ever seeing a drop of sealant and that that to me is a godsend when i sort of think about my process for updating tires and sealant and whatnot like i think i in my mind it's so laborious that i don't even want to do it and that's exactly the bad. It's exactly a bad approach because that's why eighty percent of my tires are bone dry right now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the the challenge. That's our chance. We, we, we what we do, and it's our challenge at the same time. You know, yeah. we, we we really solve something that a hassle that people have, but still, we have so many customers that we don't get to sell our product because they they haven't started looking into it yet, even. Yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely like a journey that I went on, which was like, first, I had a good friend who would help me every time I needed to change or put sealant in the tire and he would handle it. Then I got some of the tools myself, particularly an inflator, a, like a booster to help seal the tire. But still to this day, like the just the maintenance of it is beyond me. And I, I am super keen to get these installed on my bike just so I can be more diligent about checking the sealant, particularly when I go off to events and it's been, you know, three or four months between checking and I'm concerned, do I have any sealant in there in a day or, you know, a big mountain adventure that really counts? 
I want to know and be confident that I have the ceiling I need. It's actually interesting you saying that because that's my answer when people ask us, how often do I have to, re have, do I have to check my sealant? And my answer is that I can't give you a number. No way I can give you a time span because the guy riding in Mexico summer or in, let's say, Utah in summer, riding every day, having his bike in a, in a shed in, in, in the heat, that guy and the other guy in Montana riding a maybe double ply downhill tire or, or something yeah. every second week. That's com two completely different cases. The one has to, to measure four times more often than the other. And, and, and what we say is exactly what you just said. Measure your sealant before an important race, before uh, a weekend with your buddies, because before you go to the holidays. Just do the check quickly and you have the peace of mind. My tubal system is going to be perfect for that occasion. Yeah. And be because you do that, you'll, you'll eventually realize, oh, my, my system with that setup every three, four months is fine. And, and another will see, oh, shit, I have to do this every second month. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So as you guys have designed the product and brought it to manufacturing, where, where did you end up manufacturing this product? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a, one of these startup stories, you know, we, we, we literally started in the South of Switzerland to the Italian border where you get Italian manufacturing pricing and, and across the border, some, some, legal um, opportunities like it was just easier to, to be in Switzerland and um, that worked well from the let's say from the quality perspective but then uh, logistics and organization were um, how to not be unpolite um, <laughs> to, towards Italians <laughs> uh, it wasn't optimal and then <laughs> we did we did some risk diversification where we went to the the future of uh, cycling industry in in Europe which is Portugal which might be true but only if you really know what you're doing when you're sourcing a manufacturing partner which we didn't entirely know back then so we ran into into quality problems which actually led to one of the darkest hours of our startup we i'm going to come to the booster to our our inflator we we had yeah. a recall on that product just after releasing it because of some quality problems in production uh, you can imagine how, yeah. how how that feels when you release your second product as a startup and and you're going to recall it from from everywhere so so that led us to basically learn the lesson and and say when you're when you're an early stage startup it's so much more important that you that it works that you have a production that works the price the 20 percent more cost for your product doesn't matter in the beginning uh, and we went to germany and and we and we are still in germany because having a reliable system having having a production that you, you can just rely on is up, up till till today super important and and we, we are now stretching out towards other regions because the, the the numbers are getting higher but for a long time you can you better go for reliable than for for cheap yeah so that's for sure yeah, for sure for sure and uh, i can definitely commiserate with that hardware development and production journey that you just described 
just so everyone understands, when was the company first founded? What year? Um, basically, that trip to the U.S. was in 13, summer 13. Okay. Then the original idea was to that job that I had at that, that product developing company was really cool. So, so I was I was perfectly happy there. And, and the idea was to develop the whole system and sell it on an on, in an online store besides working there, <laughs> which yeah. uh, sounds a bit naive now looking back, but, but that was the original plan. And step by step, we realized, no, 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 you, you have to do this properly or, or there is no chance. And so in summer 14, I quit my job there and started bootstrapping. We, 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 in Switzerland, you have, um, let's say, not so optimal investment um, environment, like, like in, 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 especially in the Bay Area and in the US in general. But what's very good is the, the startup support ecosystem. Like you, okay. you have many coaching programs and, and prizes, and, and we were lucky enough to win some, some startup prizes. Uh, because the story was good and 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 I had a, a co-founder who already had started a startup before and I was this ETH engineer bike guy so that that was a good mix and um that that's basically how we started bootstrapping and then in 2015 we started the company and did a raised a, a financing round to to get production started and everything that yeah. there was there was capital needed for that yeah, it's such a hard business. Any any business that involves inventory, there's just so much additional risk beyond your own personal sacrifice and time to get the business up and running. And that's where you're 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 from the very beginning. In um, how to say you're you're not perfectly independent from the very beginning because you already have your shareholders that you that you have to justify always what you're doing, yeah. you know? So the pressure yeah. is on from the first minute, kind of. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we went through sort of the valve system and then you just mentioned the the booster. And I think the booster actually is where I first came encounter encountered the brand. So can you describe the what the functionality of a booster is? What, is it, what does it do for a rider? Because I imagine many people don't have that type of product. Yeah, maybe let me just quickly finish uh, the, the valve system there. Sure. The, the original idea was to do that measuring and the refilling, which which is still the, one of the major USPs. But then that's also a nice story. I, one day I was I was installing a tire. I You removed the valve core because you need a good airflow. I inflated the tire and literally I was... But the air wasn't coming out because I, I was holding my, usually you, you hold your finger on the valve stem yeah. and then really quickly you screw your, your valve core back, you yeah. know, and I was, I wanted to do that. And then I realized the air isn't coming out. That's how we, we, we basically invented or realized our second big USP is the air stays inside. You have like a one-way valve with these rubber flaps. So well, it changes the whole installation of a tubeless tire where, Whereas normally you nowadays you fill in the sealant into the tire, then you push the tire on the onto your rim, then you inflate it, and while popping it, some some sealant is spilling over. You know you, that's the messy part when you're inflating a tire. With our valves, you you take the valve core out, you have the full airflow, and the tire you do that without sealant in the tire. So you have a dry installing of the tire, and once it sits well, 
then you take the syringe and add the sealant into the already installed yeah. tire. So that's that's the, the, the no drops build part is, is is with installation also because you do that new sequence of installing. And then the third big advantage is the rubber flaps are closed at the bottom. That means no sealant gets to the valve core, which means you don't have yeah. the, the clogged valve cores anymore. The, 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 you can release the air reliably, you know? Yeah, that's my other embarrassing situation. On one of my wheels right now, I can literally remove the valve core and no air will come out. It's completely I've clogged. A, <laughs> I've, yeah. got, I've got a jam, a very tiny Allen wrench, Allen key in there to uh, pop it open. And even then it just trickles out. Yeah, so th that's basically the three the three major USBs of the valve system that that yeah yeah summarizes. Yeah, there's it. a there's a ton of nuance in this, and I definitely encourage people to go to your website because you've got detailed videos mm -hmm. on how it plays out. But it's very thoughtfully designed, and those small benefits add up to what we were talking before. It just means you're going to address your sealant more frequently. You're not going to have any trepidation. You're going to know exactly what's going on in those key moments and days when you need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then basically having that problem solved, we, we went to each year, we go to Finale Ligure, famous, famous riding place uh, by the sea there in Italy. And we, uh, one of us had a problem with the tire. We needed to change a tire. So in the evening, we're in the shed there trying to change a tire. We have a floor pump, but nothing else. And the tire wouldn't sit, you know? And so we say, we're, we're product developers. We're these tech freaks. So we say, let's do a, a ghetto booster, you know, the one with the big Coke bottle. You take a Coke bottle, you drill a hole into the cap, you install a bike valve, and then you drill a second hole and you have a piece of tube and you kink it that's how you hold the air then you inflate it and then you hold it on the valve and that's the ghetto booster you know and we i love we, talking to engineers <laughs> <laughs> and and we 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 nearly managed to inflate like we managed to inflate the tire but it wouldn't hold so we we just yeah didn't get there and so we had to drive to the gas station to use the compressor and that's how we got the the tire installed and that's when we said said this is this is another problem that we have to address and basically, we we could we professionalized the the, the ghetto booster, and what it turned out to be is um, it's it's now um, not a PET plastic bottle, but it's a, it's an aluminum drinking bottle that you basically you have that head that you screw on your bottle. It's a, it's a plastic a plastic part that you screw on the bottle. You get the bottle with a drinking cap, so you can actually use it as a drinking bottle, which uh, being in a gravel podcast is very interesting for backpacking. You know, some people going to really remote areas might yeah. be interested in. Generally, this isn't the, the story of it being so portable because it's a water bottle. It's a nice story and media love to write about it. But this is a this is a product that you have in your workshop normally or in your pickup yeah. by, by the trail by the trailhead or something like that or going to a holiday like we in in Italy it's perfectly light uh, and inexpensive so it's a good product to have with you but and and the bike packing like the remote part is for some an interesting part as well so basically it's this plastic part that you screw on the bottle you have uh, a bicycle valve uh, core that allows you to inflate the whole thing up to 160 psi which is yeah. a lot but uh, 
120 psi is just fine and then yeah. it has a little opening and the slider inside so you basically push the head onto your valve stem and the slider inside opens and on all the air um pushes uh, rushes into your tire yeah and yeah, yeah. the because there is no hose that's a bit of tech tech uh, details here in a hose you lose a lot of pressure so because there is no hose you have all the pressure right by the valves and it, that means it it is instant like it's an explosion we yeah. we call it the booster effect when when i do the live presentation and i push that booster on the wheel i look into the faces of people because it's so funny to see <gasps> holy shit that was really fast so that's the yeah. booster effect and I think that's that's the key. And and again, just to kind of come back in case it's it's a, it's unclear, you've got kind of this uh, aluminum water bottle with a, a cap that you can screw into it. You then attach your home pump, pump up, which pressurizes all the air in that canister. And then, much like a, a you know a cartridge when you're inflating your 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 tire, you're just putting it onto the valve core where, where you've removed the tip of the valve core. You're putting it onto the valve. And it's spitting very quickly a burst of air, which for the uninitiated, that's what's required to push the bead out to the side of the tire and get it into that locked and secured position that you need. And that's what you generally cannot achieve just with a floor pump. Because you need that pressure you, and that burst. You don't have a tube inside and the air is just ex escaping between the tire and the rim. So if you're slowly pumping, the tire isn't just move, is not moving. So you need, you need that fast push of air to push the tire out yeah. yeah yeah and i if you do not have one of these in your garage go out and get one today it is like indispensable in my opinion for the frustration potential is very high yeah. to trying to in sometimes you're lucky and you can do it with the, with the floor pump and if you're not lucky it's very frustrating and then i used to go to the gas station and i could never get adequate pressure out of those gas station version yeah. so I, when i got and this product first i was like i i'm now fully capable to change and tires install new the, tires the cool thing is it's a small bottle you know it's it's um 20 ounces and 34 ounces uh the, the sizes we have this is not a lot of uh, of volume but because it's so fast flowing because it makes it very efficient it doesn't matter how long the air flows it matters how much air flows in one second you know that's when the tire yeah. is pushed outside and that's why with, with this booster you can if you can't inflate the uh, tire with this booster then then you have a problem then even the compressor compressor doesn't deliver as much air in a second like yeah. the booster you know yeah. So you just mentioned you have two different sizes for, you know, typical gravel cyclists, maybe a 700 by 40. Is there a, a product size that you'd recommend? Uh, basically, talking about the US, we only have the big, the, 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 the 34 version available yeah. over there. The, the, the older, smaller version is basically not going to be continued. There are some, some still available in Europe, but... Yeah, the the the, the, the 32, uh, 34, 32 um, version is it's just fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I think it's a, it, to, in my mind, the bigger, the better, right? If you've got that pressure, it's just going to make sure you, you, you only need to do it once and you get the tire seated the way you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, there is an interesting story about that, uh, that booster effect. Um, I was at Sea Other some four years ago or so, and I was doing that booster live presentation and a guy from Bike Magazine 
comes comes to to, to see and I, I do the presentation i look into his face when i present the booster and he goes literally holy shit this was so cool can you do this again i need to shoot the video so he takes his mobile phone shoots the video of me screwing the thing together inflating it pushing it on pulling it off and because our valves played together nicely with the booster because you push the booster on without the valve core you pull it off and the air stays inside because of the rubber flaps you can use it with yeah. any press the valve with, with ours you have that advantage and so he does a video of that sequence he puts it on on their facebook and now what would you say what would you impress you as a view count of that video a year later uh, a million that would be pretty impressive <laughs> you're good because many people say oh, 100,000 would be really much it was 3.2 million a year later and now it's at 8.6 million views amazing and yeah. i'm i'm telling i'm telling that story because the tu the whole tubeless story as we were talking it's something that you don't really want to touch you don't really want to look into it you don't really want to be talking about but then there is a lot of interest around it you know people many many people realized that the topic is there and it's kind of they have to look into it so so reaching that number is kind of a sign how yeah how important that that topic is i think it's just a huge unlock and to your point like there's countless people who leave the bike shop with tubeless installed already and don't think about it don't understand it don't know about it and you know the minute they have to deal with their tire they're completely ill-equipped to address it oh that's that's another another good point I, I mean the reason why we met is because we were at sea other you know we, we we basically go to to see other and then we go a bit of riding once we're over there um at sea other this year my key learning was i was talking to many brand managers of, of bike brands and they love our system they know what it does and 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 I say okay, let's 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 look into how we can equip this with your bikes. And they say yeah, the thing is, especially U.S. customers, and that's interesting. In the U.S., things even more than in Europe, they have to be easy. It has to be easy and and simple. And 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 when 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 they sell a bike, they want to make the the sale quick and easy and nice it has to be a nice experience you know so what they don't want to do is talk about some tech things tubeless when they sell a bike quite understandably but that also means they send the customer home with a hundred percent sure problem that that, that they're going to have you know if they yeah. if they convert it to tubeless so it's a paradox, really. Yeah. They don't want to talk about it, but they should absolutely somehow talk about it. Yeah, that's why I'm, I'm sort of pleased to do this episode with you and just dig in a little bit deeper because, again, it's easy for most riders to just forget and not think about it. But when you get to a product that's really thoughtfully designed around a solution, like it's, it's a really nice thing to have on your bike and a really nice thing to have in your garage. And I mean... That's exactly, you You can literally, if you're the right kind of person, let, let's say you can, it can be fun maintaining your tubeless after a while. Like I'm so used to it. I, I like doing it because it's so quick and so easy. It's it's satisfying of, of yeah. doing it so quickly. But then obviously 
still, even with our products, tubeless is not for everyone. You know, there's people who just won't ever do that, which is fine. Yeah. And for them, it's, it's, it's good for the, for the mechanic, you know, for the shop where they bring it in, the shop can install the valves and then can do a, a much quicker job when the, when the customer brings the bike in, in, in a minute, they have the, the, yeah. the tubeless check done. Yeah, that makes sense. So continuing on the kind of product journey chronologically, where are you at now? Are there additional products in the product line? Yeah, so the the plan was from the beginning to to the, the booster and the valve cord uh, and the valve system. That's basically what we call our, our backbone products. That's that's also what we have patented. Uh, and and the, the idea was to build the brand on these unique products and then be able to sell consumables like a rim tape and sealant, which which we do. I, I don't have to go too much into the rim tape, even though rim tape is one of the biggest um, factor of frustration in, in tubeless. Uh, everybody who has uh, installed a rim tape and it wasn't tight and then take the whole thing apart again, monster frustration, you know? So, so our rim tape does a really good job because it has a pressure activated glue. It, 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 it seals reli more reliably. It's, it's very strong, but let's not go into too much detail here. The, 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 the more interesting part is, is the sealant where the idea was to, to, with the brand, be able to sell a sealant. But now the sealant has become its own sales driver because we, we have a different approach to the sealant where oops i'm i'm saying it fulfills all the all the, it checks all the boxes that a modern sealant has to fulfill like wide temperature range um environmental friendly it's water-based um it, it comes in 100 recycled co2 bottles it's a natural uh, it's it's Synthetic latex doesn't contain ammonia, doesn't contain aggressive ingredients. So it, it's CO2 proof. That's a, a big plus as well. It checks all these boxes. But then what, what makes it really different is, as you can see here, or the ones who don't see it, it, it there is no particles at the bottom of the bottle when you turn the bottle around. That, the, that accumulation, and then you have to shake it to... to get these particles, these crystals into solution that you don't have to do that with our sealant anymore. It just is in solution. So you just take with the syringe, you push it into your tire without a hurry, like shaking the bottle and then really quickly fill it in because you might not get the right amount of, of particles in there. That's not a thing anymore. But then more importantly, it stays homogenous also in the tire, which means you don't have this separation where you have these rubbery leftovers, rubber balls, it's, it's called sometimes. Yeah. You don't have this separation into rubbery leftovers and watery leftovers, but it stays constant. It stays homogenous over time. So that leads to a, a, a longer, more reliable function. Yeah, I've seen those, those rubber balls in certain tires when I've taken them off. Uh, so I know that effectively there that's dried up material so it's not going to act as a sealant presumably yeah. and if, if i'm hearing you correctly by the way your product is blended and stays consistent doesn't need shaking like as long as there's solution in the tire it will function as designed versus something that's separated into elements that need to be combined in order to work 
Oh, some some of the well-known sealants, if you wait a bit too long and you open the tire, you have basically a puddle of water, like brownish, greenish, watery thing left over, which is not sealant at all anymore. It's not, yeah. It has has not been working for quite a while. And, and our sealant remains homogeneous and it covers like the tire looks the same one day or, or, or a year after, after installing it. It's just covered like wet from the sealant, which is important. Yeah. Uh, but then it doesn't accumulate. It doesn't leave these, uh, add these rubbery leftovers. And, and we, we have it nicely printed on our bottle here on our sealant, but we, we won the, the sealant test in, in this larger bike magazine here. I always say we, we won by a, by a bit. Uh, just a bit better than the others from function, you know, ceiling function. But I yeah. say if, if they'd done the test two months later, we would have won by by big margin, you know, because it's still working more constantly. And that's yeah. that's a, yeah. that's a big advantage. And the third the third advantage of of it staying homogeneous and that's very important for for users is it doesn't go bad in the bottle because it stays stable, homogeneous. Yeah. You don't have to throw the bottle away after half a year or to a year, something like that, because it goes bad in the bottle. So there is no separation in the bottle as well, which yeah. in the end is a quite uh, an environmental impact. You know, a lot of sealant being thrown away and it's a financial aspect as well. You, yeah. you, you can buy a bigger bottle and use it next year. Yeah, yeah, that is nice. So that being Amazing. said, the, the sealant is not just a sealant that we also sell with, with our with our brand, like we planned originally. It's really it's really a game changer. And and talking about gravel, we we this is this is originally we come from the mountain bike sector. You know, the whole tubeless comes from the mountain bike sector originally. But now with gravel and road coming, the the challenges are different for for sealants. And and there is two major differences. One with the higher pressures, you have a lot more water loss. Sealants dry up because tires are porous and tires are never perfectly tight. So you 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 lose water through any tire. And and in a gravel or road bike, because it's the, the pressure is higher, you lose water faster. So it dries up faster than than a mountain bike tire. And that's why we, we are going to actually now in May, we're going to release our road and gravel sealant, which is a bit thinner and, and, and it's longer lasting. So, so that's the, the one thing we adjusted. And the other thing is it seals cuts better at high pressures. So that's okay. the, because sealing at high pressures is obviously a big challenge for sealants. The higher the pressure, the more difficult. So we, we, we've adjusted our formula to, to cover these two important factors for, for gravelers and roadies. Interesting. I'm excited to see that as it's tested out. Yeah. I, I love that you're thinking kind of from first principles and thinking about the tire pressure differences and how they'll play out and affect the product. Yeah. And, and now going to the, your latest product that I think you just released at Sea Otter and I was able to see last weekend when we rode. Tell me about the journey to creating a multi-tool. And obviously it's a category everybody's familiar with. Everybody has had one or many over the years. Like what, may, what was the design perspective that you came to to achieve this product? And then we can get into 
how cleverly it was executed and the multitude of functions you have built into it. Basically, the, the, the approach is the same as, as with any of the products that we brought. Um, there is still some, some, some trouble left, you know, some things to solve. And what's, what was missing for us is there are cuts in the tire that are too big to be sealed by the sealant. And that's when you need a plug solution. You need to push something through that hole or slit from the outside to, to mechanically close that, that hole. And then the sealant can do the job to, to close off the rest. And so we, we knew, we, we've, been, we, we've known for, for a long time that we have to bring some kind of a plug solution. We just never really knew where to put it and how to store it. You know, you can go into the handlebar, you can go into the stem, you can go somewhere. What's what's really popular now, and this is a really hot topic in, in, in any bike segment is having it quickly accessible, you know, having a solution for yeah. in the backpack or, or somewhere, that's not really a solution that you want to offer today. So it has to be quickly accessible. You might still have your finger on the hole because what you can do is you're losing air, you hold the finger on your hole so, so you can stop the, the, the air leak. And then you have one hand left and you have to grab that tool with one hand very quickly. And so it has to be somewhere. And we, we didn't want to go into the handlebar or in the stem because you have a lot of compatibility, compatibility issues. So what we decided to do is we, we, we want to go to that formerly bottle cage interface. We call it standard interface now because there is sometimes like three or four uh, on a bike or at least two. So we, we basically have a small box that you can screw onto your frame using this screw interface. And the, the original idea of having these plugs is you have, you have um, a rubber cover that you can open on the side and then you can pull out that handle with the plug right there. So literally with one hand, you can open the thing and pull the plug out and then push it in. Yeah. And we, we have, that's maybe a bit too detailed, but we have a side loading fork that makes it easier to load the, the plug into your fork tool. We have a twist shape of the fork tool because when the plug is twisted, when you push it into the tire, when you pu pull the tool out, the plug sticks better in the in the tire. Some some details yeah. about using that plug. And so this was this was basically the tool that we had to bring, that we wanted to bring out. But then we said, now that we have this presence on the bike frame, now that we have this box anyway, we are adding something that anybody needs anyway. And that's that it's a, it's a little multi-tool. And yeah. what I'm holding into the camera now for the ones who don't see it, it's, it's, it's a, like an Allen key. It's an L-shaped Allen key. And it has on the sides, it has a bit in bit technology. So the small bits are stored in the larger bits and you can magnetically remove them, flip them around and, and put them back. So and yeah. on both sides, on the long side and on the short side, you can ex exchange these bits. And this makes from one Allen key that is um, super lightweight, let's say, compared to a folding tool with all these functions, you have a proper tool that you have a lot of torque and, and good accessibility. And you have eight functions. You have from two to eight millimeter all Allen keys, plus you have a Torx 25 all in one tool. And that's that's a very attractive 
solution that you have right at the front. You know, you open that rubber cover, you pull that tool out and you're ready to go. You, you need that often. I, I, I just yeah. went riding for four days over Easter. I used it nine times in four days and I didn't use it because I wanted to count higher. So literally to, to tighten the axle of the wheel, the handlebar was twisted. I had to put my seat post a bit higher. You need very often you need to, to adjust or yeah. tighten something. So this is very handy to have it quickly available. And Interesting. then, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. This is basically level one usability. Use that tool often, but then this tool clips magnetically into, into a tire lever. This is okay. like people have to go online to see, to see the form factor. This is the impressive part. You know how that L shaped, tool is clipping into the tire lever where you have a chain link storage and then you have a chain breaker that clips into the chain breaker into the yeah. tire lever so it's all compactly stored together and then the, the last thing that we added is there was some more space so we added a little cutter tool a little swiss army knife scissors tool that you can open and then it has this 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 cutting function this is this is pretty fun tool as well, and it, it, it's also the storage for your replacement plugs. So, yeah. in in short, it's a very compact um, way of having many many solutions. The, the the main solutions that you need, the tools in a in a small box that's um, super lightweight, 135 grams, which is. Let me check how many. Um, I think even in the US, we think about grams <laughs> yeah. when we think about bike parts. Oh, we say but it... lighter than your phone. It's it's lighter <laughs> than your mobile phone. So, yeah. That makes sense. And and you mentioned this, I mean, and, and calling it like a the shape of a deck of cards is not completely accurate because it's thinner than that um, and a lot less weight, as you said. So you you mentioned you've got the ability to both mount it to where any water bottles would have been mounted. And if I'm correct, you also have a way of strapping it to the bike. Is that exactly is that that, that's that, that's basically now now we have that box and you screw that box onto your frame with two screws. And basically with the two screws, we also screw this interface on top. It's a, it's like an aluminum bar. It's a sliding interface that's also on the side of the kit. So you have two of these interfaces. And now you have what we call a strap clip. It's a plastic part that you can slide onto, onto that interface. And then you have a Velcro strap where you can attach your pump, your CO2 cartridge, your tube, your banana, whatever you want to bring along. And the idea is to have one clip on each of these items. So before you ride, you decide, oh, today I need a pump. You slide it on. Today. I need to bring my tube and you slide it on and sometimes you go without anything. So you have a modular system with these interfaces yeah. around your base box. Yeah. Yeah. It's super slickly designed. And as you articulated, like everything kind of nestles into one another. Yeah. And I like the thoughtfulness around the plug is the thing you want to access quickly, fast, and ideally with one hand and making that kind of first and foremost in the design. And then if you need to dig out some of the other tools, they're all right there, but they're not as quickly accessible because you've erred towards what you need on the go fast. Yeah. And maybe to, f to finish that, 
the top interface that is held in place by the two screws, you can leave the interface away and just put your bottle cage on top of the, of the whole kit. And that's actually the primary idea. You have that, it's, it's so small, it's only half an inch thick, you know? Yeah. So you have half an inch under your bottle cage and uh, and it basically disappears under your bottle cage, but yeah. you can still access this for access it from the side, and you can still slide your pump or whatever to the side with your bottle being on top. That's the the core idea of that of that kit. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that because when I saw it on your bike over the weekend, you did not have a bottle cage on top of it because then nobody so that... would see it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Good guerrilla marketing. <laughs> it worked. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this is amazing. I'm so glad that I, I met you and ran into you. Like I said, I've been familiar with the brand. You guys have been doing it for a, uh, quite some time now and great to kind of just dig into both your history as a product designer, how you always design from a rider first perspective and just hearing the totality of the systems you've built and the thought behind it. It was a real pleasure to get to know you. And I, I hope for the listeners, they they hit a milk it that bike. I'll include that link in the show notes so everybody can see some of the videos and cool graphics that you have on the site to understand everything you've been describing. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. Bye. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with P.S., as much as I did, how fortunate was it that I was able to run into him on the trail and how interesting a journey he had to creating the Milk It brand and the valve core system and the entire system that he described. Super happy to have made his acquaintance and get to know those products. A big thank you goes out to our friends at Hammerhead and the Hammerhead Crew 2 and the Hammerhead Crew 2 computer. Remember, if you visit hammerhead.io and use the code THEGRAVELRIDE, you can get a free heart rate monitor strap with your purchase of that Carew 2 computer. If you're interested in giving me any feedback on the show or connecting with other gravel cyclists around the world, I encourage you to join The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. Everything's for free, and it's simply a forum that allows you to connect with other athletes around the world. If you're able to support the show, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride or ratings and reviews are hugely helpful in getting this podcast in front of new listeners. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.